I'm Tierra Drake and I'm the founder of Girls on Another Level. In a nutshell, Girls on Another Level aims to progressively empower women who are a catalyst for success. It is my mission to highlight African-American women who are well-established in their careers. What is needed are inspiring and real stories from women who have experienced things and can help guide other young women on their desired career path. My passion is to explore women's stories and what it really takes for women to be successful. The goal is to elevate and inspire the minds of women while they navigate their journey to a beneficial future. With the voice God gave me, I am committed to helping others become a girl on another level. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to a new season, new episode. And first of all, I should have started off, Happy New Year, okay? It is 2023, you know, I'm so excited for this new year. Um, And really, most people who have heard my previous podcast episodes in 2022, you guys know that my word for the year was clarity. Um, and, and God definitely did that okay. Um, he, he brought some things to light and really just opened my eyes. And so now for 2023, my word is alignment. So taking all of those things that God showed me and really just implementing in my, my everyday you know, practices and making sure that what I'm doing, what I'm saying, and what I'm envisioning aligns with what God has planned and has written for my life. I'm so excited, you guys. Last year was tough. I think it was tough for everybody, but it it, it was tough, okay? So this year, optimistic, very hopeful, um, and really just obeying God is what's going to allow me to to flourish. So I'm excited. But anyways, from the clip that I'm about to play, can you guys guess what career we're going to be talking about today? I'm trying to order the most expensive bottle of champagne because we finna celebrate. We gonna celebrate what? My divorce. How about that? Today, I have the honor and privilege to interview Kimberly Cook. She is a divorce attorney and a mediator, um, and she's also the CEO and founder of Grown Girl Divorce. So listeners, welcome Kimberly into the show. Kimberly, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Of course, of course. I'm, I'm excited to to kind of jump into this. Um, I, I have a lot of questions, so <laughs> I know some of my questions are, are going to help people who may want to, um, you know, join this field. Um, so I do want to start off. This was one of the number one questions I had. Um, what is the difference between an attorney and a lawyer? There's nothing. Um, so people use the phrase interchangeably. There is though a difference between JD and, uh, and, um, an Esquire. So when you see someone have the designation of JD, that means that they went to law school, but it doesn't mean that they are actually licensed as an attorney. So you won't, you'll want to ask. Uh, because there are many people who actually have a law degree but are not licensed to practice. When you see Esquire, 
that then means that they have taken a bar exam and are licensed to practice as an attorney. So interchangeably, they're called attorney or lawyer, um, one and the same. The bigger difference is JD and Esquire. Oh, wow. I did not know that. And you are licensed. So you have Esquire behind you. Is that correct? That is right. That's right. I am actually licensed um, to practice in Maryland and in Illinois. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Now, I know you help from Spelman College. (laughs) So upon entering college, you know, did you know you wanted to become an attorney? Yeah, I knew I wanted to, you know, become an attorney probably, gosh, very early on, middle school, maybe even, um, you know, earlier than that, but certainly by high school. And so by the time I got to Spelman, I was pretty sure that my next kind of move after Spelman would be to law school. But senior year rolled around and I started to question whether or not um, it was in fact what I wanted to do. And, and a part of that was just, you know, having experience and exposure to other interests that I had formed along the way, colleagues, um, who were going to be doing some exciting new things. And so I told myself that I would take two years um, after school to see whether or not becoming a lawyer was something that I really still wanted to do. And so um, I graduated and I worked uh, for a part, um, I would say for about, I don't know, 15 to 18 months for a nonprofit. And then um, I then taught school. So I, then I taught seventh grade social studies in Atlanta. Um, and within, I would probably say the first 18 months, I was pretty sure I needed to go to law school. It was really what I wanted to do, but I held out and um, completed kind of my commitment to myself to do a, two full years. And then I went to law school. Oh, wow. that That's interesting. So I know you said that you've kind of had that idea of going into law since middle school, but what influenced you to kind of choose that route to pursue? I think for me, I had a great teacher who was my kind of moot court um, and mock trial and debate teacher. Um, First started out in middle school and then as luck would have it, Uh, He ended up being my government teacher and then um, model UN and debate teacher in high school. And I think he was really just kind of instrumental um, in pulling things out of me in terms of kind of advocacy, being able to articulate um, an argument um, and really kind of leaning into the idea of finding supporting information if you were going to kind of put forth an argument. And so I I think he was really instrumental. So I'm a real, real big um, fan of education and the power of great teachers in one's life um, because I had that experience of having a a great teacher who really kind of set me on a course that I might not have otherwise been on. 
I love that. I love that. I, I definitely think it's amazing to to know when you have that one teacher who's influenced you or touched you in a way where it's it's gonna you know bring your your life together. I, I like to call it. I, I had a teacher like that as well. Um, started out as my basketball coach, <laughs> and then she ended up being my broadcast teacher. And so I was like into film broadcasting, news, and stuff like that. But I just didn't know quite where I wanted to fit in. And so I still to this day reach out to her. I babysat her children, so it, <laughs> it's nice to always have you know that teacher who you know goes outside of their role to really inspire you and kind of guide you along your path. So that that's really awesome to hear. Um, now I am curious, um, you, you mentioned that you decided to kind of take that two year hiatus, um, to kind of explore some other things and really see, um, if law was the path you wanted to, to go down. Um, I know you said kind of in the midst of that, you, you realized that, you know, that is what you want to do, but what were some of those, you know, confirmations or, you know, that aha moment where you were like, yes, this is the path for me. I know this is what I want to do. Kind of talk me through that. Sure. So when I started after graduation with a nonprofit, that was a dropout prevention organization. And we did a lot of work in schools, kind of, you know, trying to bridge the gap between what was happening for students in schools such that they then, you know, were, were dropping out, right? And so not completing. And, and, you know, I would sit in these meetings with the school teacher leaders or the principals and the family members and then, you know, representatives from my nonprofit. And it really was disheartening in many ways where there wasn't really a parent advocate. There there were parents who were, in my opinion, being railroaded or or just not able to speak up for themselves or their children about, you know, what was happening, why their kids were missing class or um, why the schedule that, you know, their, their kids were being placed on wasn't the right fit for them. And so in my head, I then decided, okay, I want to be able to advocate and help kids and family and, and these parents. So maybe it's about me going into the classroom. So then I transitioned into teaching and in that role, in some ways, sure, I could, you know, advocate, advocate for my students and, you know, kind of talk to parents. But I soon realized as anybody who has been a teacher knows that, you know, there's only so much the teacher can do, right? Because there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of just external forces um, that, that teachers just can't control. And that bothered me because for me, it always became, how do I help somebody who can't give voice to something have a voice? And I kept kind of circling back to that. And that to me represented my kind of interest and desire and push really to be that advocate and to speak on behalf of people who couldn't speak for themselves. And so that to me meant becoming, becoming an attorney. And so that, I think those were the times where it really kept kind of pushing me in the direction of you've got to do this in a way that makes the most sense. And I felt like being a lawyer 
allowed me to be an advocate in many ways. Oh, wow. That that's really interesting to hear. I think oftentimes, um, especially, you know, kids when we're younger we have this idea this passion to want to be this when we grow up and it's kind of now where you know people say that well that was just a a childhood dream come on you gotta think of something else but it's like I'm very spiritual so it's like you know when God lays something on your heart and it may not happen at that right time you know other things may be happening you know in between that time but ultimately he's going to lead you back to the path that you you know wanted to go on so I I truly believe that and that's awesome to hear I think a, a lot of times and even I've had moments even with this podcast where things aren't going so great or I may not have the, the downloads that I'm looking for or the streams and it's kind of like mm, well should I be doing this but right. it's always in some way you know it's always led that this is what you're supposed to be doing I, I always get that confirmation in a way and it's okay to take some time and just kind of figure else what's out there because you'll you'll always be led back to the path that you're supposed to be on so I was just curious to know that's interesting to hear about those confirmations you've received um now I couldn't agree more by the way thank you (laughs) 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 so I interviewed a paralegal um for my last season um and she is um currently in the process of taking her LSATs um kind of in her episode she's kind of explained to me like the I guess the downsides or the cons to, you know, going into law. Um, And she's been unsuccessful um, with passing her LSATs. I think she's on number three. Um, It's her third time retesting for the LSAT. So she kind of just explained that, you know, she's keeping positive um, and she's just trying to find ways in which she can continue to be successful and stay on this career path to becoming a lawyer. Um, so, you know, in your journey, um, especially with you being licensed in Illinois and Maryland, I know those are different exams that you have to take. Kind of what was your journey like and, you know, your study habits when it came to passing your exams? Well, I think, one, I commend her for her commitment to wanting to join this practice and, and profession because, um, you know, it, it requires a commitment. I think people have a romanticized idea of what it means to be a lawyer or attorney. Um, and what it really means is a commitment to, to this practice. Um, and I keep saying practice because it is the practice of law. Law is ever evolving, ever changing. And so, um, you know, for one to be really committed to, to being interested in, in this profession, I always commend, you know, I will be the first to say that I didn't enjoy law school. Um, I knew it was a means to an end. And the reason I say that is because I'm a very practical person and I'm a very, let's just get to the nuts and bolts. I'm not really interested in all of the theory behind. And so for me, that's what law school started out as. But you have to understand the theory. You have to understand how the law, and I'm going to put this in 
in quotes, works, um, to be able to navigate on behalf of your client in real life. Um, so for me, I enjoyed more of the legal clinics that I was a part of where you can actually, you know, work with individualized clients. I liked more of that hands-on involvement. I enjoyed more of the mock trial involvement and, and less of the, um, testing and, and reading and, and research. But as I look back fondly, I know that I am the lawyer that I am because you have to go through the trenches, so to speak. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I think that, you know, in terms of study habits, law school is difficult. It's unlike college because it's going to reap train the way that you analyze things and look at things. Um, and it, and it requires a different level of thinking of writing. And that was very difficult for me because I had always done well in school and then to come into law school and, you know, the first exam out, I get a C and I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'm not good at this. Maybe this isn't for me, but it was really about challenging the way we think and, and we write. Um, and so it was, it was recommitting myself to figuring this thing out in, in the right way as to why I am licensed in Maryland and Illinois. I, um, went to law school in DC. So I took the Maryland bar exam with the intention of waiving into the district because in some states you can do that where I wouldn't have to retake the DC bar exam because um, there is an agreement between Maryland, DC and, and Virginia. Um, if you take one, you can waive into DC. However, I got engaged and my boyfriend, then fiance, now husband, is also a lawyer and he got um, an opportunity in Illinois. And so I needed to take a new bar exam in order to practice um, in Illinois. So that's why I took two, that's why I'm licensed. I don't recommend it. Uh, what I recommend <laughs> is that, you know, you find some place that you wanna be for a while and you, you stick with that because the bar exam is not an easy exam. And um, if you can get away with just taking it one time and being done, then do that. I, for love, did not do that. Wow, that is <laughs> an interesting journey. Um, and like you said, I, I love that you kind of touched on the fact that, you know, this is a commitment because, you know, some people at the the first sight of failure, they're they're out the count. You know, yes. They, yes. they don't want to pursue anything. They get discouraged, um, and it, and it can really set them back. So that is an amazing journey, an amazing accomplishment. And you know, you've have over fifteen years of experience in this industry. You've been named um, in Best Lawyers in America and in Super Lawyers um, with Family Law. So you, you, you've been in the game. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to play a little game that I made up here. Okay. <laughs> so it's really just a, a true or false. Um, and so I, I have five, I guess, common misconceptions slash truths 
um, when it comes to divorce, since you are a divorce attorney. Okay. Um, so I'll just kind of go over these um, and you just can answer true or false and kind of share, you know, explanations behind the ones that may be false or just kind of share your opinions on it. So are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So the first um, statement I have here is a spouse will automatically get 50% of everything during the divorce. Is that true or false? That's false. Okay. So it's really important for people to understand that each state determines how the court allocates property. In some states that are called equitable distribution, equitable does not necessarily mean equal and so if you are in an equitable distribution state, which most states are, it means that the court generally starts by looking at what 50-50 would be for everybody. However, depending on other factors, other considerations, the court could say it makes more sense to give one person over the other a little bit more or a little bit less. There are other states that are known as community property states, and those states are generally designated as a 50-50 allocation or division, but it comes down to which items are going to be classified under the community property umbrella. So don't make the mistake of assuming that you're getting divorced and it's an automatic 50-50. It might be but it doesn't have to be. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> yes. So on to the next one. Um, all divorce lawyers are aggressive. Is that true or false? I mean, no, that is not true at all. Um, I would say that, you know, most divorce lawyers are not aggressive. Are they going to advocate for their client in the best way that they, you know, that they know how, or they believe. Sure. But I will tell you, most people try to hire an aggressive lawyer until they realize what that really means. So I would say most divorce lawyers are not aggressive, but make sure that that's not what you're seeking. And you're actually seeking somebody who's going to advocate for you in an appropriate way. Okay. Got you, got you. Um, now, my my next thing here um, is spouses dirty laundry will be aired in court. Is that true or false? That is true, depending on the type of um, trial that you have. And by, you know, dirty laundry, we're talking about um, outside relationships. So extramarital affairs, we're talking about, you know, how you spend money. Because if things are relevant for the court to consider, whether it's parenting matters and or if financial matters, those things can and will come come out uh, in the court process. Okay, got you. I, I know a lot of times people are like, uh, really because of movies, they're like, mm -mm, when it's time for divorce, they gonna know everything. So it, they to will. <laughs> It's we true. have to kind of get that out there from an actual divorce attorney. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so the the next one here is you don't need a lawyer to go through a divorce is that true or false oh boy that's a hard one so let me say this carefully it is true that you don't need one however and i underline that bold however you want to take it it is strongly recommended that you have one. And I say that because DIY divorce can get really messy really fast. And I know that divorce can be expensive, but what's even more expensive is when you do the divorce yourself. And then later when you're trying to enforce a judgment or you're trying to modify certain terms or your ex-spouse isn't complying, it's more expensive to then hire a lawyer to clean up or to re-correct things than if it were done correctly the first time. So I caution people strongly from doing a DIY divorce. And that's not because it's a money grab thing, but because it's really important that you try to get it done right the first time. Got you. Okay. All right, guys. If you're, you know, going through some things, take note. Um, it's highly <laughs> recommended. <laughs> um, but the last one here, um, it takes years to get a divorce finalized. Is that true or false? You are asking these questions that are like in the gray line, right? Because it's false that it that all divorces take a long time. Some divorces don't have to, but it is true that some actually do, right? Which is why I love the question. Um, but there are a number of things that happen during the process of somebody's divorce that really can dictate how long or how short it's actually going to take. And the number one thing is how the parties... So how you and your ex-spouse behave during the course of the divorce. If everybody comes to the table and is willing to move the process along, then the process moves along. But keep in mind that the divorce only moves as fast as the slowest person. So if you or your spouse has decided I'm sticking my head in the sand. I'm not going to respond to things. I refuse to be cooperative. I refuse. The case is not going to move in a timely matter, a, a timely manner. And that ends up costing you both time and money in the long run. So there are divorces that can be done relatively quickly. There are others that take, you know, years and it, it all comes down to how everybody behaves in the process. Okay, well, I definitely got some of my questions and misconceptions answered. <laughs> so I know um, a lot of people that are going to listen in on this are, are learning a lot too. So thank you for playing this little game. Of course. Um, it doesn't really have a title, but it was a good game to play. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So now I, I kind of want to segue. Um, you know, you are a divorce attorney slash mediator, yes. but you have branched out to become an entrepreneur. Um, and so I read on your website that you are um, an optimist who believes everyone deserves to be in a happy and healthy relationship. 
Um, so is that part of the reason why you created Grown Girl Divorce and added that to your belt? Can you tell the listeners a little bit about that and, you know, what inspired you to take the entrepreneur route for this? Absolutely. And, and, you know, thank you for asking. Um, You know, as you've referenced, I have been in divorce um, for over 15 years and consistently um, divorce has really impacted the community. And by community, I mean, you know, the black community in ways that nobody really talks about. And, and, you know, many of my clients over the years happened to be um, professional black women who were struggling to come to terms with the fact that, you know, divorce was their reality. And, And a part of that had a lot to do with the stereotypes and stigmas and shame associated with um, you know, a divorce. And, and so um, I found myself really kind of connecting with clients or, or friends um, in a way to kind of say, look, this is a process that you can navigate through. You are not alone here, um, despite the fact that divorce support resources and the general narrative doesn't really um you know, line up with many of our our thoughts and beliefs about things. And so Grown Girl Divorce really came out of a real need to, again, advocate for, you know, my own community, but in a way that was about creating a space for us to feel seen and heard um, through this process and addressing topics that are unique to us, but also um, making sure that, you know, if we are finding ourselves in a divorce or, or considering divorce, um, that we felt like somebody understood what we were going through um, in a way that isn't out there um, in, in other kind of um, forums. So that's how Grown Girl Divorce kind of came about. Um, and we hope to continue to build our community um, through not just the podcast and the blog, but through, you know, webinars and um, support events. We don't promote divorce. It's not about that, but it's about um, really helping women navigate through the process so that they can move forward in their lives, but also, you know, finding themselves again. So really exciting about everything that's to come with, with Grown Girl Divorce Um, because I know there are a lot of women who really need, um, just a space to feel like I'm not alone and I got this. Oh, I love that. You know, when I do research, um, for each of my guests, it's it's one thing to read a bio or kind of Google some questions here and there, see their websites, but to actually hear, um, and I can really just hear the the passion behind why you started this. Um, and I, I noticed, um, you know, on your website that, you know, you started Grown Girl Divorce um, trying to, one, educate 
empower and support um you know women of color um specifically um and it was one thing on your site it said black women get divorced too but it's not just a divorce so mm-hmm. i love that you were kind of able to share you know in the ways that you you do help and advocate for these women that are going through a, a tough time in their lives um so i i'm curious to to know um, how do your your days look? I mean, <laughs> you, you are a busy woman. You're 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 busy. Um, so, what does a typical day in the life look like for you? Oh man, it's it's hectic because certainly you know um, I'm a wife and a mother, and I do have a mediation practice. Um, not to mention you know other external involvements, and then working with grown girl divorce. So I would say it is, you know, a series of, of meetings, um, and planning, um, from, you know, the time I, I get up and get, you know, the kids kind of out the door, um, until, you know, late at night. But I, I will tell you though, when I transitioned from litigation, I was a partner at a firm for a number of years doing divorce litigation. One of the things that, um, was a driving force was really to allow me to create space to be able to one, be present for my family, but two, to really, um, lean into some of these other areas by which really I am passionate about. And I have now in many ways been able to create that despite how busy I am. So I would say it's, 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 uh, it's a good busy. And, um, you know, my hope is that it will continue to be, um, a good busy for, for years to come. Awesome. No, I love that. I love that. It's always interesting to hear, you know, kind of how people balance everything. Um, so it's awesome that you're able to still, you know, wear all these hats and have all these titles, but, you know, still find fulfillment and enjoying what you're doing. And I think, um, I, I was having a conversation with someone like a, a week or two ago um, and we were talking about that same thing, you know, like feeling burnt out and, you know, like losing your passion. But it's like when you still feel fulfilled, even though you've had a busy day, that's when you know you're you're doing what you love and what you were set out to do. So that was kind of awesome for you to for you to share. You know, I would just add, you know, just quickly that I am very, very, very fortunate to have a partner in this journey. Um, And and so certainly I have to give, you know, kind of kudos and and credit to to him because, um, you know, I will tell you that for me, I feel like life sometimes is a seesaw, right? On one end, it's home life. On the other end, it's it's kind of career and professional life and trying to balance some days I'm up at home, down in career. Other days I'm, you know, up in professional career life and down, you know, at home. But having a partner to help me kind of balance those things, I think really makes all the difference, which goes back to my optimism that everybody deserves a healthy and happy relationship and partnership because it makes things all the better. I love that. I love that. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you, you know, brought that up um, because I have one last little game here. Okay. <laughs> um, and I did name this one. This one is called What's Your Take? So I did some research um, and I actually found um, from the U.S. Census Bureau, um, they had a couple of facts um, 
as far as divorce in the black community. Um, yep. So just kind of want to get your take um, on two, two facts that I found. Um, so the first fact that they listed was divorce rates in the black community have decreased significantly in recent years. Um, is that true? Um, and, you know, wh- why do you think that is? I think that's twofold. I think first and more importantly, it's because marriage rates are also down. Um, And so it's important to keep in mind that when you're looking at overall divorce rates, um, you want to also look at kind of marriage rates, one, but then two, people are waiting to get married much later. And that's a good thing, meaning that they're coming into marriage ready, prepared, doing the work, potentially, whether that's premarital counseling or postnuptial agreement or whatever it may be. And so the, you know, divorce rate by extension then, then decreases. But generally speaking, it's when marriage rates are down, divorce rates are, are also, are also lower. Okay. Awesome. No, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I, that's interesting to kind of have that comparison. So I definitely understand that. Um, and the second fact that I found, um, it stated that, um, the divorce rates are lower in the South um, because the Black middle class is concentrated in the South. Um, The U.S. Census Bureau says that the South is attractive due to lower cost of living, reduction of poverty, and enduring kinship ties. Um, And these are factors that have affected um, the South having lower rates in the Black community. Um, kind of what's your take on that? So I would say two things. One, divorce in the Black community has historically been negative, meaning that there are many, many people who are married and unhappily married and are either, quote, separated and so not technically divorced, um, but are remaining in marriages for the sake of just staying married. Um, so I, I caution the statistics that are like, oh, people in certain areas don't get divorced, doesn't mean they're happily married. Maybe they should be moving into different directions, one. And then two, by extension, um, I do think the South has historically been a hub for, um, you know, Black middle class. Um, and I hate to be the one to say it, but Black middle class tend to be all about, um, you know, putting up a front and, and, you know, trying to um, act as if all things are well. And so while in some households that may be the case, it may not be. So I think a little bit of this could just be that people aren't getting divorced because they don't want to have that kind of stigma associated with getting divorced. Um, And then another portion may just be that, again, people are, you know, happily married and and have found their partnership. And so for that, I say kudos, but just having done this for a very long time, I I hear those as there's something deeper than what the census is actually digging into. I got some tea right there. <laughs> no, that's that's definitely interesting. And I, I'm from the South. I was born and raised in Georgia. So a Southern girl. And I see that many times. 
um, you know, just within, you know, families down the line, down the history, you know, people have just stayed just because they, they know nothing else that's who they're comfortable with. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that you were able to touch on those, on those facts. Um, so thank you for playing my game, my second game. Um, but, um, as we wrap up here, um, you, you definitely have a lot of things in the pipeline, um, goals that you're looking to accomplish and the expansion of Grown Girl Divorce. So um, could you share with the listeners where they can find you, um, website, social media, and all of that? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. You can check out the website at GrownGirlDivorce.com. We have a Spotify playlist. um, And we are also on Instagram at GrownGirlDivorce. LinkedIn, Grown Girl Divorce. So whether it's podcast, which is available on Spotify, um, Apple, or wherever you get your podcast, um, the website, which has blogs and other resources. And then um, as referenced, we're building out and hopefully moving to have um, webinars and some support events um, as we we grow and develop to, to educate and empower Black women going through divorce. So please, 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 Check us out. Even if you're not going through a divorce, there's a good chance that a girlfriend of yours is going through some things and this may be a great resource for her. So please help her in 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 her journey by providing our information to her. Yes, yes, I love it. Um, and I know we didn't get to touch on the, the podcast um, that much, but that's why they need to subscribe um, and definitely follow you on social media because, guys, she's actually sharing tips and tools, some of her experiences with her being a divorce attorney. So you have to listen to the podcast. Yes, <laughs> um, All right, guys. So before we go, I have to shout out Legally Attractive. CEO and founder Gianni Moore, first of all, the name, okay, fire, but Legally Attractive is a women's boutique and it centers around corporate fashion. She has handbags, blazers, dresses, and much, much more. So you you definitely have to visit her website, look at her pieces. You can shop at legallyattractive.com. And listen, if you're a, a loyal, committed goal listener okay you gotta go to her instagram shop legally attractive and tell her thank you and you're telling her thank you because she is giving goal listeners a 20 percent off discount code towards your purchase all you have to do is type in the code goal and that's g-o-a-l to receive that discount Thank you so much, Gianni. Keep doing what you're doing. And thank you guys for tuning in to another episode.